With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom by simply visiting www.realitycheck.radio forward slash donate to make a difference today. Peter Williams from 1 o'clock on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Friday afternoon here on RCR with Peter Williams. Let's talk education. So many matters to talk on this subject, particularly in the light of the PISA results which came out a few days ago. I'd like to welcome back Elwyn Poole, education consultant, a former school teacher, the founder of some charter or partnership schools in days gone by when they existed under their their true purpose. Uh, Elwyn with me now to uh, perhaps suggest uh, a few thoughts about education, which despite the change of government might not be headed in the right direction after all. Elwyn, thank you for joining us. Sorry about that slightly rambling introduction, but I, I come back to you because you wrote a short thing on Kiwi Blog a few weeks ago about Erica Stanford's first big appointment in her office, mm-hmm. and you thought, gee, this is not a propitious beginning for the new education minister because she is she has recruited somebody from the Ministry of Education to be her education liaison. You didn't think this was a very good idea. Tell us more about this. Well, it's not just anyone from the Ministry of Education. So the... The top 12 in the ministry, uh, starting from Wyona Holstead, who's I, I think on about $600,000, um, she is the only person, Iona this is, with um, any teaching experience, and it's minimal. Um, these people have all pretty much been a part of the public sector uh, merry-go-round. Um, I, I try and understand their profiles, and it's not just that there are bits and pieces in Māori, there's just, I just don't understand what they're trying to say uh, about their roles. Um, and uh, it, to me, they are the long-term handbrake on the New Zealand education system. And so you would think that someone uh, who's just become Minister of Education and uh, wants to establish herself as a genuine uh, change agent, um, what would you say, disruptor, uh, would steer far away from anyone in that top 12. And yet her first significant appointment was uh, Alan McGregor Reid. And as a number of principals have said, including Patrick Drum, who isn't, so he's the principal of Mount Albert Grammar, a really big school. Patrick isn't known to be massively outspoken. Um, the first thing he said about it is, but this is the person who is responsible for the mess that our curriculum refreshes. And so I don't know what skill set Erica was looking for from Alan McGregor-Reed, but it was certainly the wrong signal uh, to the sector and I, I think a, a very disappointing appointment. Well, her title at the moment is Deputy Secretary, Early Learning and Student Achievement. And as we've noted, <laughs> Elwin, in recent days, the PISA results yeah. say our students are not achieving. So, uh, ipso facto, she's been a failure in her role. Yeah. The PISA results said a lot more too. And, and I, I, one of the things that's really a worry, and I don't know how they got away, well, I do, they probably just ignored the ministry, but um, those results are probably positively skewed. Um, because we're told that a significant number of the lower decile schools chose not to participate. Um, And and so the results probably look better than they are. Um, You've also had these things come out that, um, you know, we've got the biggest uh, rich to poor achievement gaps in the OECD. Uh, And in fact, well down the list in terms of the top 80 countries, uh, according according to students, uh, we've got the most disruptive classrooms, and according to principals, uh, we've got and these were all questions within the PISA report. Uh, we've got a heck of a lot of low quality teachers, um, and they're finding it difficult to uh, find people 
uh, of significant quality, and that, again, is accentuated in the lower um, decile schools. So the PEATS results weren't just that our kids are continuing to slide uh, in terms of math, science, uh, reading. Um, there's a whole lot there that says the last thing we need is status quo or any hint of status quo. I was in Wellington last weekend oh, when visiting family, and mm-hmm. one of the members of my family is very good friends with somebody who is about to uh, work in Parliament for a government party in the education area. Mm-hmm. And that person had read my Substack, uh, Substack column, which quoted you uh, on on Alan McGregor Reed yep. saying it was like what making sore on the mayor of Hobbiton or as I said yep. uh, putting the fox in charge of the hen house but apparently this is just <laughs> a short term appointment does that fill you with a bit more hope I, I had heard that and understood that uh, when I was making my comments um, look I mean you start as you mean to continue um, and Erica to you know, to be fair, when uh, Chris Hipkins became Minister of Education, I was critical that he brought nothing to the table at all. And you'll remember that back in those days, uh, Labor had um, what do you call it, working groups for everything, um, and they took an extraordinarily long amount of time to come up with anything. And and when they did, it was next anyway. Um, and so, I, I mean, Erica has had two years to get ready to hit the ground running. And um, as I say, first signal, uh, I mean, if you want to put a sporting analogy on it, uh, you don't want to go for 26 in your first over uh, in a one-day game. Um, uh, You're on the back foot already. And I think Erica is really capable, um, has done a lot of research and very hard work. Um, But I think she sent an incorrect signal to the sector to begin with. And the sector includes the unions, the ministry, teachers, um, uh, principals, families, all sorts. Well, the signal she's Um, sending is that she wants to try and affect change from within the tent, from inside the tent. And I would have thought in education, when you've got such entrenched ideology among that senior leadership team, you're going to get nowhere. So what's the point of doing that? She'd be far better to come in from the outside, wouldn't she, firing a few big shots? Yeah, you know, I would have, I would have, uh, if if I could, you know, uh, be audacious enough to suggest who, but uh, someone like a Roger Moses, um, former head of Wellington as, College. Yep, as your first significant appointment, or even go outside that and try and extract a James Bentley from, you know, St Peter's College, um, someone with a genuine record of achievement. So it's not just that the top twelve are ideologues; they're also clearly incompetent uh, uh, and everything about our system points to that um, and even today I, I saw Erica Stanford has you know formally announced delaying the co-credits in math and uh, in numeracy and literacy um, to 2026 well it was supposed to come in 2023 but the ministry completely screwed that up by uh, doing very, very little to prepare uh, teachers, students and families for the tests that the NZQA were designing. And then when all that happened, the ministry had a crack at the NZQA and NZQA told them to buzz off that they know how to set assessments. It's your job to get per- uh, students into a situation where they can pass them. Um, I, yeah, <laughs> It makes, I you, it makes you worry. The other thing I read this morning in a column that I managed to get to the end of for a change, written by Simon Wilson in the New Zealand mm-hmm. Herald, is that Erica Stanford has apparently told RNZ in an interview that she, for the meantime, is not going to do anything about the history curriculum. Now, talk about the long march through the institutions. The instigation <laughs> of that history curriculum is surely yes. uh, a major, major issue in New Zealand education because the story is being told in a way that, frankly, is not entirely truthful. And I just don't think that a Minister of Education should be just putting it to one side at this stage. Do you? No, I don't. And 
Also, I mean, there are with both of those things, like the co-credits uh, and things like the history curriculum, the curriculum refresh in and of itself, uh, the sexuality education, um, all of those things, see, at least should have given almost immediate notice of a full and impartial review. Um, and, you know, with, with an undertaking that the parts of them that aren't good enough need to go. Uh, even even from the test sitting perspective, these tests are online, which is to go back to Marshall McLuhan. Um, what did he say? The medium is the message. And uh, sitting online tests is is quite different from pen and paper. Uh, and kids, when they're doing stuff online, they think that they have to do it all visually. They just have to look at it. You can't write things down and all that sort of stuff. Um, which if I'm teaching, I teach them how to sit an online test. But that's different, again, from just how to do mathematics or how to read. Um, same with the, with, the, with the history curriculum. Do, it, do our kids really want to be doing history for 10 years? So even from that, that using up time perspective, when are they going to fit in world events, world history? Um, so even if, if you know we work out uh, what I would say is a more balanced um, history curriculum. Um, why is that the only fully directed curriculum uh, in New Zealand schools, fully prescribed? Um, and and yeah, I think she needed to immediately say, hey, all of these things will be up for evaluation. Right. Um, because what you're yeah. saying is that maths and literacy, the the ability to write, uh, spell, learn grammar and the like, you're saying that is not yep. properly prescribed in the curriculum at the moment? No, not yet. Um, and that's, I guess that is one of the critiques of uh, the curriculum that I think was written uh, or put in place in about 2007. Um, so no, it's, 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 it's very loose. Um, as, as a curriculum, which because I write curriculum and I write programs based on it, it's never kind of bothered me because um, it's not it's not limiting. So you're always writing. If I'm writing projects or or English, math, science type programs, you always go above it in the settings that I work. But that doesn't mean that everyone can or everyone does. And the other thing that involves is a huge amount of repetition throughout the sector. Um, whereas if Labor had actually taken notice of the Royal Society uh, and, and had really uh, adapted a prescribed math curriculum and then had someone expert design really well-leveled textbooks that pretty much everyone would use, uh, and standardised tests, then it, it not only improves what's happening for kids, but it saves a heck of a lot of work um, for teachers because every math department in the country probably does things a bit differently. When the last piece of results came out, Elwin, I seem to remember that there was shock and horror at the maths achievement in particular. So mm -hmm. the Ministry of Education or the Minister of Education at the time employed yes. or contracted uh, Professor Gavin Martin from yep, Massey University. Royal Society. Right. Yep. So whatever came of his work? Uh, everyone praised it because it deserved to be praised. Uh, so, so that was, I think, with a team of people under the Royal Society banner. Uh, and then as far as I can see, it's one of those things gathering dust on the shelf. Yeah, um, holding the door open. And, and, mm. and a, a, a great shame um, because, I mean, I read the report, I thought it was excellent um, and a real opportunity um, to make change. But there's far too many other things to do in the school day, obviously, apart from teaching maths. Because the other thing you see I wrote in my Substack the other day was not just the fact that uh, kids at the age of six or seven were not learning maths, uh, not very yes. often, rather. They were being taught it three days a week at two o'clock in the afternoon. I mean, what kind of teacher and teacher training system allows maths, of all things, to be taught at two o'clock in the afternoon? When I was at primary school, it was always the thing you did first thing in the morning when your brain was 
sort of half half awake and you know as alert as as it was going to be during the day. That was the importance put on maths sixty years ago. Yeah. Obviously, it's not now by the teaching profession. The three, yeah, the three schools I designed. What we did is have an academic morning. So in the morning, they would have one of math science. Sorry, three of math, science, social studies, English, technology. And they'd have an hour where they work on the projects that I design. So everything that required the level of concentration that you are talking about was done in the morning. And in the afternoon, the learning was just as valuable because we had music, we had uh, PE, we had community learning, which is guest speakers in and field trips out. Uh, we had our sport and we had our community service. Um, and that changes as good as a holiday type thing. Uh, into the afternoon, we ran 40-minute lunch times because an hour is too long and kid gets bored and in the last five minutes everyone thumps each other and, you know, that's, that's when the problems occur. Um, but back, back to the foundational stuff, I mean, I, I wrote a piece, I put it on, on Kiwi Blog and, and LinkedIn and elsewhere, where I, where I detailed what I believe are the are 13 solutions to be implemented and, and and quickly. Now, these weren't just my thoughts. I've got that piece in front of me, Owen. I was going to discuss yeah. them almost on a point-by-point -point basis. And and number one yeah. is this crown agency for parenting, you say, to mm -hmm. provide information to make New Zealand the very best parenting country on the planet. Doesn't this smack of a bit of we know how to do it and a bit of nanny right. statism? Um, no. And, and the reason no is as it says, it's information-based. It's not It's not an intervention organisation. Uh, and so I'm just, today, it sounds really exciting to people, I'm sure, uh, listening and researching uh, a neuroscientist out of Stanford University called David Eagleman. Um, and there's, the science has moved so far. Uh, you know, even, even I mean, I fluked a lot of things uh, with our kids because we were young and, all that sort of stuff. Um, but as, as I think I've discussed with you before, we, we also in New Zealand had people like Ian and Mary Grant around. And um, you, you could access a, a whole lot of information. They wrote some great books and, and all that sort of stuff. And so you come to believe that everyone knows what you know. Um, and so there are, I saw James, I'll probably pronounce his last name wrong, Amiga, in his fabulous first speech in Parliament. Yes, the new MP for uh, Rangatara, former head boy at Timaru Boys yes. High School, yes? Yes, where he mentioned the first thousand days because that's a, that's a real campaign and it's a campaign that's happening in the UK as well. So I'm intrigued by this, Elwin. The first thousand days, the first three years of life, can you just tell us why are they so important and, more importantly, what what should be done to make sure that every kid gets a fair go during those first thousand days? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I've, I've recommended, and I, I know there's a public sense uh, that we don't want more bureaucracy, and I'm certainly aligned with that. Um, but that we do have a, a, an information-based crowned entity for parenting um, because the knowledge that we now have about how to uh, look after a baby within the womb or and, and how not to. You know, we, we know the things that cause the damage during that really critical phase. Um, plus, you know, when a when a child's born that that they are cared for and, and obviously we've got these disastrous incidents that that are inexcusable. Um, but we also have a lot of people who 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 maybe haven't had a great education themselves and this isn't being patronizing but they haven't been exposed to to ideas like how many words you speak to a child, the way you speak to a child, um, the stimulation that you give them. Um, there's a perception that if you're poor, you're less likely to be a good parent. I, I, I think we need to base uh, to break that perception really powerfully um, because there are so many things that you do as a parent that don't cost a lot of money. Um, and even, you know, we, we didn't have much money when our kids were young, but uh, I drove past the Tower on the Library the other day. We just about lived there um, for periods of time uh, because there was so much stimulation going on, uh, and you know, going to the beach, um, all that kind of stuff. And then I think, in around those sort of past the first thousand days, that three to five, 
Um, parents have to be and have to be given knowledge how to be the first teachers of their child. And, and that includes basics with teaching a child to read, um, basics with mathematics. So when the child comes into a school situation, they've got some familiarity with it. Um, and that's, that's, that's certainly a good start. Um, you will have seen that since the pizza results come out, you know, everyone talks about it as if it's only a professional problem. And, and certainly the ministry and the schools and the teachers have to take some responsibility. But it's a societal problem too. Um, but it's been, been it's been like this for for years. You could say possibly two, if not three, generations, uh, Elwyn. And yep. yet successive governments appear to be very reluctant to actually do anything about it to to ensure that the gap between rich and poor uh, closes, that there are yep. opportunities to get people into work. It's it's as if the whole concept of personal responsibility as a parent and ergo the children uh, in that family uh, it, they're just it's just not being encouraged by government policy and is it time for I, I don't know do, do we do it through just through tough love uh, as far as parents well, are concerned you you won't get benefits from the government unless you I don't know show a bit more in the way of parenting skills. I, yeah, and, and again, I'd want this to be uh, the the entity itself to be information based, and, and so if there were other aspects like that, I think there would have to be that that would come through the ministries that already exist. Um, so to me, this would be something. Uh, look, I mean, I, I wrote a book ten years ago, so it's going to sound like I've got a vested interest here, um, but was called it's called Read to Your Kids, and it's a sixteen page beautifully. Uh, put together a little booklet that that every family um, could and should have uh, in their home. Uh, I offered it to the Ministry of Education. They, of course, turned it down. Um, but there are things like that. Or um, well, remember you know, the Alan Duff was... program. The what was it called? Yeah, uh, yeah. books and, and schools. And the the Duffy yep. the Duffy uh, series. Yeah, I, I went yes. and did some work for them. I went down into. Towns in Waikato, South Waikato, around near Tokoroa, and the like. Yep. God, that's twenty-five years ago. Uh, I was asked to go well, down and Vargan, read Linda to Vargan kids. Does that still go? Yeah. Um, yeah. Linda Vargan is the person in charge of that. Um, Main freight, huge supporters of it. And uh, my friend Mahe Drinsdale here in um, Cambridge is is often involved. Um, so. Yeah, there's, there's that kind of thing, and again, your 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 parenting entity. I mean, I mean, you just ask yourself a simple question. You, you know, which is more important in our community, parenting, or or, or teaching formal teaching in schools? And well, the answer, the answer is parenting. I think, by a considerable margin, and therefore, this information, this encouragement, um, you know, needs to be out there. Um, and and I, I think it'll make a difference. And maybe the issue is at some sort of level, uh, the government or the ministry, who are obviously a part of government, they think they're the ones that have to solve problems. Um, whereas sometimes you've got to say, well, actually, this one's too big for us. Um, what we're going to do is provide information and courage, bring someone like David Eagleman to New Zealand, make a big deal of what he says, and alongside him have people like Nathan Wallace um, who does a great job in our country, um, and, and make it just a really big, constant topic of conversation. Um, uh, and it, to, to me, that's a good start. So the second of your solutions, and you've just talked about the ministry, it's probably you said a yep. job beyond them. You said the Ministry of Education must be massively restructured and repurposed, and you've given the numbers uh, in June of 2017, there were 2,607 ministry employees. In June 2023, there were 4,113. I mean, that's an extraordinary explosion in numbers oh, of people working in policy. And what's happened during that time? Student achievement has decreased considerably. I mean, it's just extraordinary, isn't it? Oh, it's absolutely bizarre. And, I mean... What do they do? Uh, I mean, I'd love to see, and I'm I'm thinking of doing it myself in uh, mid January, mid February. Sorry, 
You know, I, I survey that goes out to to every principal uh, in New Zealand, and you know, really simple says, you know, how do you rank the performance uh, of the ministry in terms of assisting you uh, in your achievement goals for children, and um, what would you actually like them to be doing for you? Um, but oh, <laughs> I think it should easily two thousand is enough. To be to be honest, I, it, um, and as I said at the beginning, not only that, but you've got a leadership that's incompetent, uh, that have shown themselves to be incompetent. That's not me just being nasty. I mean, the results don't stack up in the private sector. That those twelve would have gone a long time ago, um, but they've got no metrics. They've they've got no real KPIs, so they just. Yeah. Stagger on and take their pay back every every fortnight. And the student achievement test, the results which came out in the PISA results the other day, as with the <laughs> excuse me, as with um, the reaction of the unions, it was well, we provide a quality education. We don't know what else we can do, sort of thing. They, it's as if it's not their fault. That was the most extraordinary oh, they, 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 thing, they, they, thing they, about it. They, they said some, you know, really bizarre things like um, I think Vaughan Coolio, who's the head of the um, secondary principal, said, you know, well, it's, it, I think his main line is pizza uh, isn't important to kids. Yeah, but it's like saying, I don't know, temperature isn't important to, to cooking. You know, you, you, you've got to know the stuff to know how your education system is performing and how your education system is performing is important to kids. Um, and, yeah, I mean, the PPTA and the NCDI, as I say, down, I think, uh, suggest in 11 is, is that they don't have anything uh, worthwhile to contribute. Throw them a bone when they ask for it and, and move on. But because of the power of the collective, the unions, the education unions are going to be always in the education industry, the education sector. They're going to be extraordinarily powerful, and they've proved that time and time again. They wore down Lockwood Smith all those years ago when he tried to bring in bulk funding, and they yeah. they they wear down every minister of education who has ever been in the seat trying to trying to get a bit of. Um, Shall we say sanity? Uh, Seymour and Act brought in the charter schools, the unions, as soon as there was a change of government, made sure that they were done away with uh, very quickly oh, indeed. And, so, what do you do to curb their power? Um, well, Ardern said that they publicly she stated we, we uh, got rid of the charter school model because we promised the unions that we would do that. Um, so, she did keep one promise. Um, <laughs> I, I I think the unions are on a little bit uh, of uh, a thinner thinner line than they used to be uh, for a couple of reasons. One is that it's now simply beyond obvious that our system is in trouble. And you can take a whole lot of uh, measures. You can take the attendance one, which is appalling in and of itself. Uh, you can take the retention to 17. You can take the... Um, huge discrepancy where we've got some schools uh, having their leavers leave with uh, university entrance, 95% of them. Others, I think there's a bottom 30 that have got none leaving with university entrance um, and, and many under 10%. Uh, I mean, if a teacher is a teacher and, and, you know, there's no difference in quality and we all pay them the same and all that sort of stuff, why have we got these huge discrepancies? Um, and what actually are the solutions? Because clearly the union's collective contract isn't one of them. Um, they also, I think, lost – I mean, parents around the country were just astounded in 2023 – because they thought, well, hey, we've got through COVID. Um, there's still a bit of illness hanging around. Um, so kids might miss the odd day here or there. Um, but then the teacher strikes and an extraordinary number of teacher-only days. Um, and, and so the unions have lost massive credibility, if they ever really had it, um, with parents. I think they've always been tolerated as a sort of necessary evil. Um, I don't think they're necessary, but there's certainly the effect is uh, evil. It's not good. Well, 
but no, no education minister has ever been able to beat them, and that's the thing about it. Nobody has ever been able to to break the power of the unions. Do we need a Maggie Thatcher type uh, minister of education if you're going to be able to to make some progress in terms of performance pay and raising the standard of teaching? And I don't think Erica Stanford yeah. fits that mould at the moment. Well, David Seymour and I don't don't by any means agree on everything. Um, but I think what he will bring to the table with the partnership schools this time, uh, I think, I, I haven't actually had the conversation with him, um, but he he takes in uh, three years of having been under Secretary for Education, where he was absolutely given the runaround by the ministry, um, attacked, uh, as, as I was and others, by the unions, um, given the runaround by Hiki Parata, uh, as well, in many ways, who was a handbrake on the partnership schools thing because it did create so much controversy. Um, I think David will go all guns blazing, and I think he will shift the approval outside of the ministry and outside of the ministry's network. Do you believe that's important um, I, for the charter schools, the partnership schools, to to be there in some numbers to give parents real choices for their children? Absolutely crucial, um, and. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I guess he may also say, look, uh, current state schools can become partnership or charter schools. Um, the, the incredibly bizarre thing about uh, the PPTA shutting down bulk funding, uh, which they still gloat about, um, was when Angela Roberts was asked why South Auckland Middle School uh, is so successful. She said, well, it's clearly because they're bulk funded. And it's like, because she was former head of PPTA, then that's an MP. Right. Yeah, that's right. It, what a bizarre thing to say. Um, because they were the ones that stopped schools being able to choose to be bulk funded. In other words, they prevented them from being able to do better and gloat about it. Yeah. Um, the so, other, the other so, extraordinary comment from the time of charter schools, and I may have mentioned this to you before, was an interview I heard on Morning Report in the days when I listened to Morning Report, so that was a long time ago, Guy and Espiner interviewing yep. Seymour, I think, when he was the Associate Minister of Education or Undersecretary, and Seymour says, the great thing about charter schools is that uh, they can be closed down if they're not working. And mm-hmm. Espiner said, what? That, that's, that's ridiculous. You just can't close down schools. And Seymour said, well... If they're not working, if they're not successful, surely the best thing to do is to close them down and start again. And that particular kind of thinking to a Radio New Zealand journalist was just anathema uh, because why would you close something down if you've started it? I mean, I, I guess he was thinking like everybody else does at education. Once you open a school, it's there forever. But, well, I, I but your flexibility is a key, college. isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I went to Wanganui Boys College, which is now Wanganui City College. It, it's been a failing school for 40 years. Uh, it, at present, if I wanted to set up a designated character or, or a charter school uh, in Wanganui to, you know, to, to bring some success uh, for these kids in that area, um, the ministry would say, well, there's actually 500 empty desks at Wanganui City College. So um, you will be... Uh, doing harm to the network by setting up a school there. So they wouldn't even take into consideration the um, success or otherwise of the children. Um, they just protect the network. So so David is going to have to go outside the ministry for both approval and monitoring. And you mentioned school closures. Um, uh, you know, what, what Hipkins did was deplorable in terms of closing down the model. But the door was left open for him because in the original contracts, there was no criteria for closing the schools down. It was just at the minister's discretion. So, you know, uh, I don't like Nick Hyde, says Chris Hickens, so therefore I'm going to close Vanguard. And he he could have done it that way. And what he did wasn't a lot better. Wow. So what sort of approval body then would you envisage uh, Seymour setting up to get charter schools, partnership schools, whatever you want to call them, underway again? Who would be on yeah, such so an they, approval panel? 
they had a, they had an authorization board uh, in the in the previous model that was actually pretty good, but they also became massively frustrated by the ministry, and you know we were told the ministry wouldn't really be involved in this process um, or wouldn't be involved at all. And I remember going to the first interview and saying, you had people like uh, John Morris, you had Catherine Isaac, um, uh, John Shewan, the accountant, um, and, and a whole range of pretty good people um, who were able to make these judgments. And we went to the first interview and I sort of looked over at a dark corner and, and there was a table with sort of people in beige clothing. I said, you know, who on earth is that? And they said, that's the minister. And I said, why are they here? And, and they were surreptitiously writing reports. Um, they weren't consultative reports. They didn't ask us any questions uh, and, and were firing these off to the minister. Um, and I, I happened to be visiting my son in the, in the US. When I first found out about this, a journalist rung me. I was sitting at Dallas Airport and said, what do you think of the ministry's report on the Villa Education Trust? And I said, they haven't done one. And he said, yes, they have. <laughs> and he sent it to me and half an hour rang back. And I told him exactly what he th- what I thought. And when I arrived in, in Auckland, I had ministry people calling me trying to shut me down. Um, yeah. These people don't like success. Happened. Well, they don't like being questioned either. Um, and, you know, I've, I've had a ministry person say to a room full of people, uh, don't try and pressure us. The ministry is too big to be bullied. Wow. Now, what kind of an attitude is that? Well, it's um, certainly not one that has the children at the forefront of their thinking. Nor the humility of being a public servant. Um, and, and that's their job. That's what they're paid to do. One of the other solutions um, that you've put forward yes. is number 10, mimic success. Work out the schools uh-huh. in each uh, EQI range that are excelling and make them lighthouse schools. You quote Manakura, Macaulay yep. High School and St. Joseph's Māori Girls. Now, Manakura was, that was a partnership school, wasn't it, in where, Palmerston North? A designated character school. So um, the... Uh, the selection of the jury families uh, began it, um, and uh, they, were, they were not so much in the ministry's face, but the ministry kind of came along and tried to slow it down or even stop it and said you couldn't call it a school. So they don't call it Manakura uh, School, uh, called it mean school anyway. Um, but um, they really soldiered on. And um, eventually, Formanakura got designated character school status. And um, What's the difference then, Owen, between a partnership school, a charter school, and a designated character school? Um, there needn't be much, uh, if, because you could easily, and I was advocating this prior to the election, uh, David's called himself the Associate Minister for Partnership School, so he's clearly thinking slightly differently. Um for a designated character school, you, you have to show that you do things differently to the norm, um, but it, it remains pretty much a state school. Um, I would like to see the designated character schools. There's 51 of them in New Zealand shifted outside of the ministry as well because at the moment they block their approval because of the network or they block their approval because you can only apply in the year before you want to start it, but somehow they have to have predicted three years earlier so you're in the funding process, which is obviously impossible. Um, so that that has to change too. Manukura operates as a designated character school. Um, a lot of the Catholic schools, or I think most, if not all, operate as integrated schools, which means that they um, have their property upkeep, um, but they receive all of their salaries. Um, and it, it is just remarkable the proportion of schools that are in the top grouping that operate differently to your standard state school. Um, So I do data every year on how every high school does uh, in terms of their levers, and it's a range of metrics uh, in terms of university entrance uh, for levers. St. Joseph Māori Girls is 8th, Manakura is 18th. 
And, and Macaulay High School, which is a decile one in where Otahuhu yep. in South Auckland, that is right up there yep. as well. Is that just a girls' school, girls' Catholic school, or is yes, that a is. state school? Yeah, girls' Catholic school. Yeah. Um, and 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 then I mean you've got at the very top, uh, obviously you've got what you'd call the elite private schools, but you have also got um, you, you your um, St Peter's and Epsom, Baradine. Uh, now clearly they draw on. Uh, a, a wealthy group at private schools. And then, as I say, to have within that kind of grouping these two Māori schools is extraordinary. And then when you think about schools like Tauranga Boys and Rotorua Boys, which are the biggest schools for Māori in New Zealand, the results for Māori are nowhere near it. So I would hope that they are beating a pathway to, to the door of Nathan and Yvette Jury and say, hey, how do we do what you do? I bet they're not, though. Um, they're more worried about their first 15 results. <laughs> of course they are. But they, that's what they should be doing. Um, and, and not to the ministry. The ministry don't have a fucking clue. Um, but these people do wonderful things. And um, I was at the uh, relaunch of uh, St. Stephen's School, uh, south of Auckland, um, uh, about a week ago. And lots to do, but Nathan and the vet have moved to there. And if anyone can uh, pull off something extraordinary, it will be them. And there's a heck of a lot of support for them. I certainly hope one of the first moves of the new minister is that they approve it uh, as a designated character school because the ministry uh, simply told them to talk to the hand often. So why are they um, so good? Why are people like Nathan and Yvette, uh, Yvette McCausland, jury, better known as a netball coach, but she's yes. obviously very much part and parcel of the success story with her husband, Nathan. Why are they Absolutely. so good? Why is Macaulay High School so successful? Because I've driven past that school heaps and heaps of times, and it is certainly yep. not a particularly flash neighbourhood, yet it has great results. So does it come down to personnel, yep. to leadership? Is it as straightforward as that? I think leadership is is a key, uh, and, and I, I find it very hard to imagine that you can have a good school without uh, high-quality leadership. But one aspect of high-quality leadership is surrounding yourself. I think Graham Henry used to say this, you know, try and, try and employ assistant coaches who are actually better than you at the aspects of the game. So you have to have a degree of humility to have people around you that might disagree with you um, or might have a different idea that you have to think about and then adapt to. Um, they love the kids that they work with. Um they they uh, have high standards for kids not at school uh, or their behaviour, their grades aren't good. They don't participate in sport or kapahaka. Um, they think very hard about their curriculum and their teaching. And um, one of the neat things they do is they fly uh, the whole school down to the Otago Medical Sciences, Medical and Health Sciences um, faculty every year. Um so, yeah, they're just they're extraordinary people, and um, they're not the only ones by any means in New Zealand education. So, who was funding um, but, Manukura, and who's funding St Stephen's? Is it is it government money, which is the the main bulk of the of the school's incomes? Um, Manukura ultimately has become that when when it received its designated character school status a few years ago. Um, at present, uh, St Stephen's is looking to be underway at the beginning of 2025. Um, and they have said that if they don't get a designated character approval, they will somehow work out how to operate as a private school. Um, they have got some support from the Lincoln Church um, because it used to be, I mean, you all know that St. Stephen's Avenue in Parnell was where St. Stephen's originally was and that Queen Victoria uh, College, uh, the site's still there. Um, with a lot of the buildings, um, and I, it would be extraordinary to see that um, also reopen. But now St Stephen's is down in Ramarama, so the opportunity for yep. day boys to go there, I imagine, would be pretty limited, or I'd say day boys. It was a boys' school. What's the plan? Is it going to be co-ed, or is it still going to be a boys' school? My understanding is that it'll be a boys' school. 
Um, for borders? And, and yes, for, yes, for borders. Okay, so yep. it's not going to be cheap. So there's going to be considerable assistance required uh, because obviously the the Ministry of Education is not going to pay boarding fees there. So there's going to have to be a good number of scholarships and other fundraising opportunities to get some kind of a role in there right from the start, isn't there? I, I think so. One of the one of the really hopeful things. Um, I mean, I I have conversed on numerous occasions with Don Tomahidi and. There seems to be a huge rift at the moment between uh, the Māori Party and, and, and government, and, and, and clearly some of that's been generated by John. But surely John Tamahiri wants good education for Māori. After all, he says he represents yep. Māori, even though not that many of them voted for him at the at the election. But surely he wants good educational outcomes for Māori people, like he himself has achieved. Yeah, and and, and I and, you know I've talked to him. I'm going to say often in the last two years, and uh, absolutely he does. He was actually a really big supporter of charter schools. Uh, well, so and, was Willie Jackson, uh, of course, wasn't he? Because he started one, didn't he? Uh, his family did, yeah. And um, John's organisation got very close. And then, you know, they looked at the contracts that we were having to run by, and and I pointed out to him a lot of the issues that we were having to deal with with the ministry, and um, they chose to wait at that point. But at St Stephen's opening, and I thought this was a, a really good thing. You know, we had Tamapotaka there, who's now the Minister of Māori Affairs. Uh, John Tamahiri was there. Um, Shane Jones was there, and and, and so I, I think particularly. Uh, education and aspects of mental health and health for young people are things that all of the parties should find common ground on. Um, and mimicking success, you know, taking the skill set and the knowledge of the juries and uh, spreading it far and wide, but also allowing them to begin this school well can only be good. And we've got to be looking 10, 20, 30 years ahead um, because if we just keep going, oh, you know, we used to be world class, but now we're crap, uh, then, you know, what's the point? Um, so we've got to be aspirational. And I guess, again, going back to Erica Stanford, uh, it, she needs to lead. She needs to be really outspoken for good, for improvement. Uh, she needs to be a disruptor. Um, if, if National go the way they did under John Key, and it just becomes an incremental government who after, let's say, 19, 20 months are more worried about getting re-elected than they are about effective change, then very little will happen. Yeah, I, I get your vibe, Elwyn. I, I feel exactly as you do, and that's why, frankly, the impetus of people like uh, Seymour and from yep. Shane Jones uh, representing Māori and Māori aspiration as a St. Stephen's, a tippany old boy himself, uh, yes. and a man who is educated, uh, the, the impetus uh, of those guys to the National Party, I think, is absolutely needed because you're right. The National Party is a traditionally, it's a party of going nowhere, a status quo party. And uh, I, <laughs> I, I, I hear. Erica Stanford and the noises she made in opposition, just like I heard Mark Mitchell and the noises he made in opposition, both of them in the last week, have frankly made rather disappointing, um, have had rather disappointing actions with Mitchell's letter to Costner, uh, to Andrew Costa rather, and then uh, what Erica Stanford's done with the appointment of Alan McGregor Reid. So we can only hope that somebody is going to put a rocket into education and hopefully that'll be Seymour. Well, and, and I think Erica needs to realise that will be to her detriment too, because David isn't slow to claim credit, um, and and he also, you know, sees a pathway. I, you know, I think he felt the sting of those three years being mucked about by the ministry, um, and, and I do think he'll get stuck into this. Um, and so, if if she wants, and I'm sure she does, ultimately to have a legacy. Uh, of improving the New Zealand education system, uh, she has to get on with it um, and be outspoken, be positive. And I, I, you know, honestly, don't think it's extreme that she should have pretty much immediately gone to Peter Hughes and um, 
given a vote of no confidence to the top 12 of the Ministry of Education because that's what they deserve. Well, Hugh, um, you know, Peter Hughes goes early in the new year. Maybe his successor can take action. But um, like I say, the National Party's not renowned for putting people to the chop super fast until the contracts no, are up. Said to me, well, you've been a bit mean, you know, to Ioner and all that sort of stuff. And I said, well, who's more important, Iona Holstead or a five-year-old kid who can't be bothered going to school because the school... Uh, you know, is nonsensical, they'll be bullied, or their parents, all that sort of stuff. So you've got to have a look at what the effects are and who's important. And, you know, in New Zealand, I think traditionally we haven't judged people's value on the size of their pay packet or or their communities or their status in our society. Um, And these people are, through their actions and through their inactions, are causing in many cases, irreparable harm to young people. I honestly don't know how they accept their pay packets. Um, yeah. Thank you for your time, Elwyn. As always, an absolute pleasure talking to you. I feel your frustration. I hear your frustration. Gee, it'd be nice to talk again, even in six months, to see some signs of action. But I it think it would be good. But I'm I'm not overly optimistic. Not just on education, by the way, but on other fronts. <laughs> Great talking with you, Elwin. Yeah. Thanks for joining Thank me. Thank you so much, Peter. Really appreciate it. Peter Williams from One O'Clock on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Thank you for tuning in to RCR, Reality Check Radio. If you like what you're listening to, just like what you're listening to, Either way, we want to hear from you. Get in touch with us now. You can text us with your message to 2057. That's 2057. Or email us at inbox at realitycheck.radio. We would love to hear from you. So connect with us today. With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Visit www.realitycheck.radio forward slash donate.